What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Today, we're going to be breaking down a more modern classic that's actually a remake that a lot of people don't realize, and that is the 2001 classic, Ocean's Eleven. As always, I am joined here in the bar. We are keeping our social distance, my friends. We are keeping in line with the parameters of the day, but we're here in the bar today to be able to talk about this classic, my co-host. He is the Sonny to my Jimmy Whispers. The legendary Thomas Murphy joins me again today. 
Murph, welcome back to the bar, my friend. It is great to sit down and talk some movies with you. Oh, bud, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. Yeah, Mike's down at one end of the bar. I'm at the other. We got a bartender right in the middle. So, you know, it, it, it's fantastic. He's just sliding the scotches down one way or the other and, and, you know, just a little day drinking. Day drink responsibly, people. Absolutely. Um, Always responsibly. <laughs> We're all about responsibility here on the uh, the Shape of Be Mob pod. And, uh, you know, the last time we talked a little casino, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I was met with some good, uh, you know, uh, feedback. And uh, that was a that was a fun episode to uh, to record. And you know what? We liked staying in Vegas so much that we decided to hang around in there for our offering today. And I did mention that it was a remake, and that is the 2001 film Ocean's Eleven, directed by Steven Soderbergh. Obviously, an all-star cast. You take a look up and down. This cast was really phenomenal. George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, Matt Damon, um, Elliot Gould, uh, you know, Don Cheadle, uh, Bernie Mac, just so many great, the legendary Carl Reiner. You listen to all of the list, the laundry list of stars that were in this film. And it's just, it's just amazing. And um, it still holds up. It's still, I think, a classic. It's still one of the favorites of a lot of people. Uh, we seem to get a good amount of response on social media that this is one that people were looking forward to. So I I'm excited to, uh, to dive into this one. And I'm sure you are as well, my friend. It is. And, and yes, I did know that this was a, um, this was a remake. Uh, and, and I was Glad that they remade this movie um, because the original Ocean's Eleven and and Steve Balistrieri is going to strangle me for this. I hated. I couldn't stand. <laughs> it was just too campy and too you know. I don't know. I I just I never got into it. I I never really liked it. And but I really wanted to see this. I was glad I saw it in the theaters back in the day. And it is it is a, a movie that has enough star power in it to to light up every every neon sign in Las Vegas. It was it was always a fantastic uh uh watch with to to bring this group of people together. It just looked like it was a lot of fun, which is is what, you know, the old uh rat pack really was was a bunch of guys getting together and making a movie, putting some money in their pocket. <laughs> And having a good time in Vegas, and these guys did do that, but they also did a hell of a lot more. Um, this this movie is infinitely rewatchable. It's one of those movies that when you see its uh, uncut version, uh, not chopped up, uh, it, it, it's one that you that I know that I can never say, yeah, no, no, no. Let's let's see if there's something else on. When I see that Ocean's Eleven is on, I always go for it. And I can't say that about Ocean's 12 or 13 or anything else. But this movie was, was a complete classic. I understand why they made the sequels to it. But um, I, I generally, I don't go for them. I don't go for them. There's only one sequel movie that I really look forward to. And we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. But um, but this one, they really hit the nail on the head. The casting was, was just amazing. And um, I can't wait. Let's dive in. I know you, you've yeah. got to have 100 tidbits. Oh, a ton of tidbits on this one. And uh, a few tidbits on the original, which I didn't have as much disdain, I guess, as you did for the original. Okay. But I agree. It was it was campy. Um, you know, it's, it was, it's that was the Batman of movie. that was the Batman and Rob TV Batman and Robin of heist flicks. That's that's the way it I was. Absolutely. <laughs> it truly was. And, you know, the bottom line was is this was an opportunity for Frank Sinatra, for Frank Sinatra to get together and film 
a movie with his best friends. And at the time, yep. Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Peter Lawford, Joey Bishop, Angie Dickinson, he was close to all of them, and he put them oh, all in Angie. this movie. Oh, God, um, you know, Yeah, exactly. Moment Angie. of silence there. For, yeah, uh, moment of silence for there for Who is still with us, by the way? <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> let's, let's she is. Prematurely let, let and yep, think that I she still has, wouldn't uh, kick know. her out of bed for eating crackers, man. No way. Absolutely. Nope. No, oh, God. True. It's true. And, uh, yeah, looking looking great in this movie and the original. Uh, but the original was filmed in 1960. Actually, it was filmed during uh, President John F. Kennedy's campaign. And rumor has it that President JFK, or to be President JFK, visited the set in Las Vegas on this uh, no um, a number of times uh, because he was very close with Sinatra at the time. As you recall, Sinatra, yep. Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr. were all intricately involved in campaigning. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. For Kennedy during that point. But um, most of the filming was accomplished early in the morning uh, before sunrise. Uh, a lot of these actors also had a stage show. Uh, that they would perform at the Sands, which was yep. partly owned by Frank Sinatra. And they would perform all night long. They'd take a little break, party, and then they'd go to the set. And then they'd maybe grab like an hour or two of sleep. <laughs> so, you know, that gives you an example as to what this movie really was, maybe why it was so campy and why it was so, um, you know, kind of like you, I think you put it very eloquently, the Batman and Robin of Ice Flicks. I really yep. do agree with you. Um but one thing that this movie, uh, uh, you know, actually did do was give birth to the newest uh, incarnation of Ocean's Eleven. Right. And again, uh, we see obviously Sinatra had the Danny Ocean line, uh, the, the uh, Danny Ocean uh, character, excuse me, in the original. Um, George Clooney obviously adapted the Danny Ocean uh, character here. What I liked about this version is that they didn't remake it like for like from the original. None of the other characters that were in the original Ocean's right. Eleven made their way into this. They switched and made it all about a new cast, a new character. I think they used the name Danny Ocean simply for name recognition, and I think it was smart to do that. But every other character was brand new. And um, again, this was Clooney's way of being able to pay homage to the first movie, which he's gone on record by saying he's a huge fan of. And mm -hmm. being able to put a lot of his great friends into movies and be able to understand or you know, be able to work with these guys on a, on a, a daily basis. And this cast 
again, is it, just phenomenal. I, I read off the uh, the early. I didn't even read off Andy Garcia, who plays you a very good villain. Right. You know, exactly. you, you just can't bring them all in um, to the uh, to you know to the premise of this. So. Obviously, the uh, the premise here, Danny Ocean, his 10 accomplices, hence the name Ocean's Eleven, um, make a plan to rob three Vegas casinos simultaneously. And this is after Danny is released from prison and supposedly on parole. You know, he's supposed to be towing the, you know, the straight and narrow, and he immediately heads to, to, uh, to Las Vegas to get this plan together that is kind of being spearheaded by uh, Ruben, who is played by 70s movies icon, 70s TV icon, Elliot Gould. Thank and you, I think Elliot Gould. Gould. Thank I, you very much. I think Elliot, yeah, I think <laughs> Elliot Gould. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> I think he does. Uh, you know, take a a good part in this. I really like uh, you know the way he plays. Oh God, uh, Ruben character and just you know completely outlandish. Uh, yep. a little over the top, but still understated enough to be believable you, as a you character. You loved it. Yeah. Oh my God, I loved it, man. It was it was every every Jewish stereotype just taken to to the next level, and he owned it and he loved it. But between between him and um and uh Carl Reiner it, it was it was it, it, I don't even want to call it call it stereotypes but it was it was it was just you knew when when you walked in and you, and you saw Ruben and he's sitting there and he's got his his, his gold chains on and his Jewish star and he, he's talking like he's he's right out of out of New York and went to went out to, to Vegas to to build that city you know it, it was it was fabulous I loved the both of them in this so much yeah, it truly was. I mean, and it was one of those things where if you didn't have that type of glue character to keep all of these foot soldiers in line, right. then it wasn't going to work. Again, I go back to the original. Uh, the original, uh, you know, where uh, the, um, uh, the the name of the character is is escaping me, but his character was so over the top and outlandish that I don't think it really gave the gravitas to the crew that really needed to be done. This movie captured that, and I think Gould was a big part of the reason why. So I was a fan of his performance, and I think mm-hmm. that he did a, a, a fairly good job. Essentially, this movie comes together as part of two major, I don't want to say plot lines, but I think two major uh, motivations for Danny Ocean. Mm-hmm. One is obviously he wants the fame and money that comes from being able to rob three Las Vegas casinos. Not an easy task, and we'll get into that in a moment. But the other part of it is personal revenge. And personal revenge in the form of Andy Garcia's character, Terry Benedict, is now involved with Danny's ex-wife, Tess, played by the lovely Julia Roberts. And this was an interesting twist that was not there in the original movie. Um, this was a completely new plot line, and I think it added a whole new dimension as to why these characters went to the length that they did to be able to pull this job off. It right. just it gave it a personal edge to it. And I don't think you saw that in the original Sinatra version. And I think that's why this version is the more superior uh, to even that. And, of course, to the two sequels that we saw, Ocean's um, you know, 12 and Ocean's 13. This one had that personal uh, feel to it. And I think it brought out the best in some of these characters, particularly Danny Ocean, played by Clooney, um, Rusty, played by, uh, uh, by Brad Pitt. And even Linus, played by uh, uh, by Matt Damon, who was kind of coming into this as an outsider and developed yep. his way into uh, in as an insider by sometimes sticking his nose in where maybe it didn't belong, but ultimately it all ended up working out in the end. Right, it, it was Linus was fantastic. It was it was kind of like his um, uh, what I want to what a what's a good word for his apprenticeship. 
uh, his graduation from what he was doing in in Chicago, being the 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 pickpocket and you know getting by. And this was really this was this was Linus making his bones and and no longer living off off of his father's name. He, he his father was a good friend of Danny Oceans and Rusty and the rest of the guys and and um and they had called him and asked him to be be a part of this and he had retired. He he didn't want to be but he, he, he recommended a young kid named Linus Caldwell who who is his son, but he didn't tell every anybody that he was his son. Linus lets everybody Danny in on that um uh when they meet in Chicago. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think bringing in someone like Linus, who they they knew his father from the days that they had worked together, and they knew that he would have his father's ingenuity and maybe a little bit, maybe a little something extra. And it turns out that Linus did have that in him all along. I thought Damon played that character perfectly in this movie. Um, One of my favorite parts of this movie is the early part, Murph, when you start to see the crew coming together. Um, As soon as Ocean is out of jail, and as soon as you know that he's going to start to assemble his crew, uh, it's just my nature. It's my personality. I love watching things come together. I love watching yep. things being built. And essentially, that's kind of what Danny is doing. He's building his crew. He starts off by going to Atlantic City, recruiting Frank Catton, played by the late, great Bernie Mac. And, and Bernie Mac was great in this. His delivery of his yeah. life. His part wasn't as big as some of the others uh, on the crew, but Every scene that he was in, he just had a way of being able to captivate it without overpowering it. Mm-hmm. And that's not easy to do. Uh, I think a very underrated comedian, uh, taken from us way too soon without any mm. question. I thought he was brilliant. As some of the ways he delivered lines were hilarious where, you know, you asked if you wanted him to get up and dance on the table. I mean, just the way that, <laughs> that he, you know, that, that he delivered. And that was a little bit down the line. That's not right. park your car, but I can't deal the cards. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely. And, 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 you know, and just some of the ways he delivered those lines was, was flawless. And, and I love Bernie Mac in this. Um, obviously, once Frank is in the fold, he knows he has to go find Rusty. He's got to go find his yep. right-hand man. And, of course, Rusty Ryan is played by Brad Pitt. Um, one of the more quirky characters, uh, in some of these, these, uh, you know, movies and this typical genre of being, you know, the organized crime heist type movies, I, I thought Pitt stole the show in this, uh, in oh, this movie. No I really and truly do. Uh, first of all, almost every scene that you see him in, he's eating something and he's always eating on the run. And they asked Brad Pitt about that. And, yeah. uh, our good friend, Robin Lynn asked me how many scenes is he eating in, you know, and the vast majority of his scenes, he is eating. I don't have an exact count. I tried to find it. I'm sure it exists, but for the purposes of this discussion, I wasn't able to find it, but I was able to find. He's not eating. He's got a drink in his hand. Exactly. He's always consuming something. Right. And they asked Brad Pitt about that. It was actually his idea uh, to do that. It wasn't scripted, Mm -hmm. uh, originally scripted. Uh, It was his idea to add it into the character. And he said that this was a guy that was constantly on the run. He was never in the same place at the same time. He was always doing something, staying low profile, making money on on the down low, things of that nature. So, he didn't have time to actually sit down, nor did he really have any companionship at the time to sit right. down and eat a meal. 
this was a guy that was always getting his food on the run. So whether it be, you know, getting it from a food truck, whether it be, you know, um, you know, picking it up or whatever, or eating while he was driving, grabbing something at Seven Eleven, you know, you know, anything it, like exactly. that. Yep. Whatever it was, this was his opportunity. So to do that, it kind of gave you an insight as to exactly what Rusty Ryan was, and that was a guy that was always on the run. So shout out to Robin there. Thank you for uh, for that question. And uh, if you do have the exact count, we would love to hear it. Right. Uh, attach it to the tweet that will promote this uh, podcast. But uh, in all actuality, that's the reason why uh, he had done that. And I thought it added such uh, another dimension to that uh, uh, to that character. But then you start to see Rusty and Danny team up, and they're thinking about who they need to have in their crew. We got a grease man. We need one more. We need a uh, a tech guy. And Eddie Jameson, I thought, played a tremendous uh, you know a part in this as as well. Just you know the the quirky tech guy that's going to come in and be able to run the oh, surveillance God. and do everything yes. that they need to do. I thought he was great in this. Oh. Uh, just just the right amount of paranoia uh, for that type of a character. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, anyone that's listened to me in other avenues knows the show Twenty Four uh, is one of my favorite shows of all time. Yep. He kind of reminds me of a male version of Chloe. Just that there you quirk, go. that ability. He can do it all. Uh, yep. He might be neurotic. He might be a little bit quirky. His personality might be a little annoying at times. But when the chips are down, he'll get the job done, and he does that. What, um, what I love is when they're talking about bringing um, Livingston in, Livingston Dell, uh, mm-hmm. he, he's actually working for the FBI. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, don't, don't, don't touch that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it really is. And it just goes to show you, like, just how these guys knew that their presence was going to command them being able to wrangle these guys in. Uh, Basher, who was another, he was about to be arrested. And, you know, and then there goes, yeah. uh, here comes Rusty Ryan to come out and get him out of it. And, uh, again, Don Cheadle was, was phenomenal in this. Um, the only three, of, the only of the three Ocean's Eleven movies where Don Cheadle is uncredited. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. Um, I, yeah I, he I, is I, uncredited I was, in this yep. film. And the reason why he's uncredited is because he actually wanted top billing on the, uh, the the poster. And Soderbergh originally told him that, unfortunately, it wasn't going to be a way for him to be able to fit on there. They already had too many names to begin with. And Don Cheadle said, well, okay, if I'm not going to be credited on the top, then I'd rather just not receive screen credit at all. And they agreed to that. Um, but his character was so beloved and so, um, you know, really, I think, integral uh, to the uh, storyline that if you notice in Ocean's 12 and in Ocean's 13, Don Cheadle's name is up there. So he, uh, he he ended up getting, um, you know, I think even more uh, publicity than he would have had just having the screen, uh, you know, credit up there in uh, um, in the first movie uh, for that reason. But uh, his uh, his portrayal of Basher was great. The Cockney accent, maybe a little over the uh, top. Yeah, he would, you know, I, I get over it. You know, I overlook yeah. so many freaking bad English accent, American accents done by English actors these days. I don't want to hear it anymore. I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and, this, you know what? And, and I'm somebody who loves British gangster flicks. So yeah. between between what he pulled off and the slang that that he was able to use, it, it, it sounded fantastic to me. And it's just a bunch of British guys with their nose up in the air. How, he couldn't do, he can't do British because according to them, nobody can do British. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, you know, the final piece of the puzzle before they assemble their crew and they get everybody together is Carl Reiner. And, uh, Say what you will about Carl Reiner. Carl Reiner is an absolute screen legend. Uh, Everyone in the movie uh, talks about 
sitting around and just being captivated by hearing him tell all of the Hollywood stories, everything he's been involved with from his days of starting off in the 30s and 40s right up until the present day. Right. Um, he's still in his, in his, I believe, his almost his late 90s now, mm-hmm. and Carl Reiner is still with us, and he's actually still providing work, whether it be voiceover or a very, very brief cameo. He's still able to do that. It amazes me uh, that he's able to do it uh, at his age, but uh, I thought he was brilliant. That's, he, yep. he brought that old school feel to this movie without having to delve into the original uh, and make it seem like they were trying to pull something from the, the original uh, Sinatra version. I thought he gave it that, that gravity that it needed, but it was a, on a fresh twist. And I think the casting of him was brilliant. Um, Casey Affleck and uh, Scott Connor in this as well. Uh, they play, uh, um, believe it or not, there's actually a nod to the Godfather in this, uh, the Malloy brothers, uh, Turk and Virgil. Thank and, you. And uh, if those names sound familiar to you folks, that is a nod to Virgil Solazzo from The Godfather, oh. uh, yep. who was the- one of the favorite characters of Steven Soderbergh in the original Godfather, that he wanted to put some sort of a nod to him uh, in this. So he named one of those characters Turk, which was Virgil Solazzo's nickname, and yep. then obviously Virgil, which was his first name. Everybody knows him as Solazzo, but his aliases were Virgil and Turk. Turk. So there's a little uh, tidbit to uh, to satisfy your mm-hmm. uh, your uh, curiosity there and, and now, Scott Kahn you know walking in he grew up with a lot of these guys he he really he did. did or their or their parents or whatever because if you didn't know is Scott is James Kahn's son and right. uh, so I guess that that you know that he, but he and Casey both fit in with this amazing cast at a young point in their lives remember folks this movie's 20 years old now and it, it it holds up like it was made yesterday. But, I mean, these, these two were very young at that time, and they were looking at, at actual Hollywood royalty up and down. I mean, even even the extras in this movie were Hollywood royalty. Angie Dickinson, who was in the original, was actually in, in the remake as a spectator at, at, at the fight. You know, Jerry Weintraub was was in this movie, and and it was you know Wayne Newton, and and you know you couldn't turn around without running into a Hollywood legend. And these two who were who were playing the the uh, what did they call them the um, the uh, the Mormon twins uh, were were just they were fantastic. They played off of each other brilliantly, don't you think? They absolutely did. I mean, the chemistry between these two, the bickering back and forth. Uh, mm-hmm. Just the, uh, the you know the the, the wise ass nature of Scott Conn's character and the uh, just the um, you know the the prove it the type sneaky little yeah to, yeah exactly the one that uh, always felt that he had to prove himself a little bit yep. more maybe was uh, was was Affleck's character and I think these two guys did a tremendous go, job just uh, go. some of the funny you're, like yeah. you're like a little girl go yep. <laughs> just the the little brother some ribs throughout exactly. the entire thing is just great. That, that, flat, dry delivery of those right. lines. And I really think it is, to me, it's one of the great comedic parts of this, uh, of this film. Oh, without um, a doubt. You know, and they really do. They provide a lot of comic relief, whether they're arguing about the balloons covering the, you know, most of the time <laughs> it's balloon used boy. as a cover. And it is. It's, yep. Yep. You're balloon boy. <laughs> and, and it is, uh, I, I personally love when just Scott Kahn is, is racing his, uh, his, his remote control truck and exactly. he's in a larger version of the truck <laughs> and the remote control version is beating him. I mean, it obviously it's like the little brother's like, yeah, how do you like me now? My technology can beat your brawn. 
And he, Scott Conn just gets he just gets pissed and just runs <laughs> over the truck. <laughs> and then he lets out that typical laugh that is just that vintage James Conn. You, know, yep. you see a lot of his dad when he when he laughs like that. You can almost see him in the Godfather laughing like that and you mm-hmm. know, in James Conn's younger days. I, I was so. I was waiting for him to to turn around and go bada beep, bada bap, bada boop. <laughs> At, yeah, at some yeah. point in time, it is. It was so fucking great. Oh my god, it was so great. I, I forgot we're on my show now, and I, we can drop <laughs> anything we want. Yeah, we can. I've been, I, I've been, I've been sitting back and and trying to uh, censor myself for the past twenty five minutes here, and I don't fucking have to. All right, go ahead. Bud. <laughs> no, that is that's that that's absolutely the case, and uh, you know. So at this point, now that the the team has been assembled, now. Ocean and his group of foot soldiers is ready to set up shop in the Bellagio and they're ready to start the heist. And they've made the decision that they're going to hit three casinos who all of these casinos take their money to one centralized vault. I was actually a little offside personal note. Uh, the girl I was dating at the time that we went to see this in the theater kept nudging me and saying, I thought they were going to hit three casinos. They're not hitting three casinos. They're hitting one. <laughs> yes, they're hitting three casinos. They're hitting but three, three casinos. casinos take their money to one centralized vault in the Bellagio. So, yes, it's three. They're only hitting one vault, but they are hitting three casinos. So that's a little, you know, I'm sure most of you that have seen the movie before picked up on that. But, right. uh you know, maybe it explains why she's an ex now because she didn't pick up on that. But whatever. Oh, you know, but whatever. That, you know, that's yeah, that's a conversation for another day, Mike. That's but it. in any case, I was in college. You know, who knows? You know, it was <laughs> one of my dumb days. But uh, you know, at this point, now they hey, decided. Hey, that and I married. Just... I married a woman that that hated Reservoir Dogs. So you know, they, you know, just to let you know out there, people, that that not all of us will send you packing but mike has standards that that i can't live up to <laughs> oh yeah you know that was that was just that was that was the last straw folks you know that no i'm only kidding aside please you know <laughs> we'll, we'll get into, we'll get into that in another, another day and another time my friends but uh in any case now they've decided that they're going to hit benedict's casinos who are all three of those casinos are owned by terry benedict played by andy garcia uh they're going to do this on the night of a huge boxing match which uh, i believe it was klitschko and uh um uh, lennox, lennox lewis, lewis. Were yep. the two, yeah were, were the two uh, uh boxers that were going to go head on head that night uh they can grab over 150 million dollars on that night simply because it's a fight night it's a weekend and it's a booming business for all three of those casinos so this is their opportunity to hit terry benedict in his wallet and it's starting to see, we're starting to see elements now that Danny Ocean is in this not just for the money. He's in this for a different reason, a personal reason. And Rusty's starting to see it as well because he knows Danny better than anybody. The rest of the crew is pretty much in the dark at this point on this. But Rusty starts to see that there is a reason. And I touched on this earlier, and that is Terry Benedict is now involved with Danny Ocean's ex-wife, played by Julia Roberts. Thanks. And... Tess essentially still carries a torch for Danny, but she just could not live with his lifestyle any longer. Mm -hmm. She became disgusted with someone that was living card game to card game, basically, and living scam to scam, illegal, illegal scam to scam, exactly. Always being looked at by the police. I mean, how would you feel if you were a woman and there and there were federal agents parked out or down at the end of your street every single day because your husband was implicated and so never charged, 
never charged in any of them, which he, he points out at the beginning of the movie during his parole hearing. But no, you, you've got to understand what Tess is going through here. And and to the point of, you know, and she's an art dealer, she's a, right. a historian, and she gets this opportunity, you know, to to go out to, to Vegas and start, start fresh, start new. And she ends up with, uh, with one of the richest, most powerful men in, in Las Vegas. And Clooney's just not having it. <laughs> yeah. Clooney is just not having it. This is not sitting well. Uh, a guy like Terry Benedict is someone that would probably raise the ire of Danny Ocean to begin with. Um, he's successful. He's got everything he ever wanted, uh, has that aura of I'm better than you. And I know yep. it. And so he's going to piss just off a that crook guy too, anyway. and that's what pisses exactly. Danny off and the rest of the guys because these guys are just, you know, you see the the you know he's he's basically playing Steve Wynn. Okay, let's just get that out of the way, and right. and that's the way that's the way Vegas is is run by now. And Elliot Gould gets into it when they're talking about you know. You know, back in the day, you, you piss somebody off, they whack you, and you're done with it. You know, but but Terry Benedict, oh no 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 no, he'll he'll bankrupt your whole fucking family. And um, but but to to guys like Danny and Rusty and the others, you know, Garcia is just as big a criminal as they are. Only he he skirts around it with with lawyers that get paid fifty thousand yeah. dollars an hour. Hides behind the guise of um, legitimacy, I guess right. is the best way to put it. Uh, he's, he's no more legitimate than Danny Ocean and Rusty Ryan, but at the end of the day, he looks legitimate in the eyes of, of most of the public, and that's the difference between the two of them. So they're out to pull the curtain back on that a little bit. They want to expose um, Benedict for exactly what he is and take a goal, a lot of his money in the process. But while they're doing recon and some of the recon scenes in this movie are great. And I know if you've seen the movie before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We mentioned the balloons earlier. Uh, there are some, you know, recon scenes where you see, uh, you know, Danny in, in public and he's watching the demolition of an old, uh, you know, casino and, and one of yep. Benedict's new ventures. And, you know, so you learn at, a lot about these characters, but uh, during the surveillance, uh, Linus, who's really being underutilized right now, and it's getting frustrating to him because he feels that he's one of the more skilled guys in this crew, and he's basically being used just to follow Benedict's girlfriend around all day. Yep. And when he does, Rusty discovers now what he had pretty much thought all along. There is a personal reason to go after Terry Benedict, and it is because he's with Tess now. Right. Danny confronts, or Rusty, I should say, Rusty confronts Danny in a warehouse once he finds out. He knows now that Tess is the reason why Danny is doing what he's doing, or one of the biggest reasons why. Right. He's understandably upset. He says that we should abandon the project because he doesn't believe that Danny can adequately separate business and personal. And it, we really doesn't just see it as, as him being reckless with himself, but he's endangering the entire crew by doing this. Right. And this is kind of a turning point in the movie because you see Danny really kind of assure Rusty that this is no, it's not personal. I know what I'm doing and I have to do it. But there's also still that awkwardness where you really kind of think Rusty doesn't believe him at this point. Right. Um, and you wonder if this is going to come back and bite either one of these characters uh, before they actually do it. And it, and it does, it does in a, uh, in a way that, provide some of the twists and turns that we that we've come to uh to be accustomed to in movies in this genre particularly in this one in oceans 11 yeah it does it, it is um it, andy Gar terry benedict is basically everything ace rothstein wanted to be in casino and uh he, he pulled it off and and this really ticks off Clooney, and he, he, he believes that you know 
this is this is not Tess's um future. This is this is not what's gonna happen. And Brad Pitt is 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 just he's worried about everybody else involved and that where 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 could this heist they've planned it out so perfectly you know they've gotten one more they needed one more and they got one more but you know now they're they're glad that they got one more because rusty is is convinced that danny is just is being blinded by something and that that's going to throw a monkey wrench and everything but danny's not having that either is he no he's not no he absolutely is not having that as a matter of fact he confronts tess in a restaurant, uh, which mm-hmm. is like it's a revolving restaurant on the top of uh, the Bellagio, stating that he he's, he's in town and he uh, he tells her, "Look, you can do whatever you want with your life if you don't love me anymore, but not this guy." <laughs> and that's right. uh, that's common. I think you know any guy that uh, still carried a, a torch for his ex at one point sees her with, a, with with another right. guy, and it doesn't really matter. It's like you know I don't care who you're with, just not him. It's not him. <laughs> and, and we but, all know that yeah. there's a part of Danny that doesn't mean it. Uh, that he'd be saying that about any guy she was with, but he especially means it when it comes to Benedict. There's definitely an axe to grind there, uh, and we've gone into a lot of those reasons. But I think also what this scene did to me is it showed me that the relationship between Danny and Tess was closer than her relationship with Terry was ever going to be. That was simply a relationship of convenience. She was arm candy for him. He was security for her, and there was never really a a personal connection there. You can make the argument that there may not even be that much of a connection. This proved to me that the passion that existed between them, even though it was volatile, was still there. And it proved that there were still feelings on both sides. Right. So it wasn't a situation where she just didn't care about him anymore, even though she would tell him she didn't. I, I right. think it also proved that she was still carrying a torch for Danny and he was still carrying a torch for her. And again, that plays out as we'll wrap up and, you know, when we wrap up the, uh, the plot line here. But that to me is also one of the interesting under the wire plot lines that kind of shapes yeah. the entire movie if you it, think about it, it. It kind of it kind of does. It, you know, the the first scene that you see them together, um she's admiring a piece of art that um that she bought for the casino for the for the museum at the casino and um and she's trying to talk to him about it and his his line to her is is something to the effect of, well, if you like it, I like it. He doesn't really know anything about her life and doesn't care. He's just, you know, it's it's all about appearances to him. And you can in the next in the next part of that scene, when she leans in to give him a kiss, he looks he steps back and looks up and and gives us the 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 uh, the first shot of the camera and saying that everything in my casino is being watched and uh, that will when we get to the end of the show, we'll we'll of this show, we'll we'll it'll explain why they showed that little tidbit right there that right there and then. Absolutely. And that does. That line actually becomes very poignant. I'm glad that you brought that up because we will use that to bring it full circle. But at this point, because now Rusty is suspicious of Danny's intentions, he has Linus following Danny now, not Terry or Ted. He He has Linus following Danny. And Linus is witness to all of this, the confronting of his ex wife, his encounter with Terry Benedict and the volatile nature that that could possibly have, it actually causes Danny to become red flagged by Benedict and his crew. And now that means that Danny's going to be watched wherever he goes in the hotel. And this causes a severe rift uh, between, or at least we think, (laughs) this causes a severe rift between Danny and Rusty. Now, Danny's a liability. 
And yep. that's that's the, uh, the the notion that we're going toward at this point. He's a liability. The minute they see him, they're going to think he's up to something. They're going to be following his every move, which means he can't be the lead guy on this job the way he had hoped to be. Now, Linus is also trying to dig himself out of the out of the doghouse because he was responsible for this team nearly getting busted when a select group of these foot soldiers had to go to Caltech and they had to try to liberate the uh, the pinch, which was basically an EMP, <laughs> an electromagnetic pulse right. bomb that is going to disable all of the electronics, the lights, and everything they need to do that in order to gain access to the system set up the and be able to bypass it. Exactly. And Basher was the one that told them that they needed a pinch. They needed this EMP. Um, and they try to steal it uh, because Linus doesn't pay attention and he doesn't do what right. he's supposed to do, and which is stay in the van. <laughs> he doesn't do yep, that. He gets stay up in the van. That's all you got to yeah, do. He, just stay in the yeah, van. He gets up and decides to take a little, uh, you know, a little night walk through, uh, uh, through Caltech. And he almost gets, um, you know, he, he almost gets mad. Um, yeah. and he's the his, little brother that, that just has to come along. You know, exactly. and, and you yep. know, it's, that's the way it is. And don't tell me what I, what I'm, what I can do and what I can't do. I right. know what I can do and I'm going to do it anyway. And it nearly does cost them uh, the, the option of, of getting, uh, getting arrested. So he's trying to get himself out of the doghouse. And it seems like this move actually does because Rusty makes a judgment call and says, Danny, you're out of this job. You have to be out. We can't do anything with you around at all. And, Danny is supposed to be the man to trigger the vault in order to be able to break in and steal the money. Just add insult to injury, at least at this point, folks. Right. Add insult to injury. He gives the job to Linus. Ring Rusty gives the job to Linus. Yeah. And that sets the scene for the climax of the movie, the absolute crescendo, which is the heist. And this, I thought, from start to finish was filmed brilliantly. Uh, the intercuts, the, uh, the the performances that you see, mm -hmm. um Carl Reiner showing off his, his talents of being able to uh, to be, uh, what was it, Lyman Zerga. Uh, yeah, Lyman Zerga. Uh, was, uh, was the Zerga. decoy uh, that, uh, that that he played. Um, mm -hmm. The uh, the the back and forth between uh, Matt Damon's Linus character and um, and Bernie Mac, uh, Frank Catton, where yep. they have to uh, fictitiously kind of confront one another uh, <laughs> to uh, throw off Terry Benedict, I thought was brilliant. Yep. Uh, Damon plays this, like, you know, he just plays it as so like this scared, you know, like geek that's trying to, you know, show he's a tough guy and, uh, you yep. know, and, and Bernie Mac calling him out on it. I thought that was brilliant. Uh, some of the way these uh, these scenes were filmed in the heist scene, I thought was was excellent and really, I think, gives the movie the resonance that it's had. Oh, I agree. I agree. And and the the way that that so many of the characters in it were just, you know, changed character within the movie to become other people. I, and Matt Damon as Linus really, really pulled it off well. And he did it, he did it well in the, in the, the sequels also, but between him, the, the, everything that the, uh, that the, the Mormon twins did because they were different people in every single freaking scene, but they were still themselves. It, it was, it was just fantastic. It, it, it was really great. And the, the way that they're, they're bringing this all together to turn what would be, an impossibility to do with an army to do with 11 people in the next in the next 30 minutes is is just fantastic and it's something that we've never seen on film before and we'll never okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh. 
Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Never see again. Absolutely. And it was, it was ahead of its time, and mm-hmm. it's still relevant in today's time. And I think that really has given this movie the legendary status that it's had, and it, it was so richly deserves. Twists and turns that you're seeing here just are fast and furious at this point. Um, Danny is on the casino floor, obviously. He's trying to be a decoy. He's trying to divert attention away, or at least that's what you think he's doing. Terry Stuggs find him. They bring him upstairs, lock him in a room. All of a sudden, you see this you know, big, huge biker dude ready to come in, and it looks like he's going to absolutely, you know, just beat Danny Ocean from pillar to post. We find out that he's actually in with Danny. <laughs> yeah. You know, in all of this, once the door closes, uh, Danny is able to, uh, yep, Bruiser. Danny is able to, uh, to, um, uh, to get out through, I think one of the ducts, uh, through the, uh, the, the, um, uh, the drop ceiling. And yep. he's able to get up there and we magically watch Danny reappear when Linus tries to trigger the vault and get in. There's Danny Ocean sitting right there and scares right. him half to death. Not gonna, and then not, we learn you didn't really think I was going to sit this out, did you? And then we learn <laughs> that it was one. all a ruse between Danny and Rusty yep. to kind of get everybody on point, get everybody to up their game, thinking that their leader was out, so they really need to step it up. And it was brilliant because it worked. It absolutely worked, and uh, the two of them, uh, you know, start to unpack the vault. They get Basher's explosives in place. 
and everybody seems to be doing their part at this point. Basher cuts the power across the, uh, the city. He triggers the pinch, which absolutely decimates the van that it was in. Uh, yeah. which, I don't know. I always, I always found that I always found that uh, that seemed to be a little bit funny the way Cheeto plays yeah. it. He's just looking at it. He's so afraid to hit the. He's, he's kind of like cowering, like <laughs> I know this isn't going to hurt, but it right. might. And if it does, I don't want to be around when it does. Yeah. And uh, that's a little cringe there. Uh, yep. There you go. Absolutely. And then at this point, once the break-in is occurring and you're kind of wondering exactly what's going on, you think you have a, a good clue as to what's going on. Um, all of a sudden, when the lights come back on, Terry Benedict is walking back through the casino. Obviously, it disrupted the fight. He knows something's not right. He knows something is up. And his girlfriend, Tess's cell phone, starts to ring. And the problem is she doesn't have a cell phone. It's not hers. It was planted there by Danny earlier on in the night. And when Terry Benedict takes the call and takes the phone, he realizes that it's, well, he doesn't realize it's Rusty on the other end, but the voice on the other end is Rusty telling him he is currently being robbed. Right. And this sets the events and the climax in motion. This is, this is the peak of the action right here, folks. And I, I just thought this was one of the great twists and turns that I've ever seen in a heist film uh, ever before, or maybe ever yeah. again, I will see. Uh, I just thought the way this, this was con uh, conceptualized and the way it was put on film was absolutely brilliant. That's it. It, it really is. It's, it's, it, 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 there, there are a lot of criminals out there that, that watch this movie and say, damn, why didn't I think of that? And, and that, <laughs> that's, that's the, um, that's the quintessence of, of a great uh, heist film is if, if you, you piss off the people that actually try to earn a living doing this because it was brilliant. What, there, what this entire thing came down to was, was misdirection, which is what magicians in, in Las Vegas have been doing for years, which is what con men do for years, you know, from, you know, picking pockets to whatever. It's all about misdirection. And this was the greatest um example of misdirection in history wasn't it absolutely yeah it really really and truly was um you know it, you look at the, the surveillance footage that obviously terry benedict is supposed to be watching they're putting the money in black duffel bags marked with x's um reality these bags are actually filled with flyers folks and not filled with money that's per the plan that's basically what they're supposed to do it's assumed that these bags were actually probably brought into the vault by the team earlier but it's easy to tell the fact that they're not really bringing anything with them into the vault the loophole is admitted uh by uh steven soderbergh in the dvd special features he actually it was something he didn't catch and a yep. lot of people have caught that afterwards that you know it's obvious they didn't bring anything in how are these in there um it, it is a plot hole that's very very seldom and really not adequately explained but you know what the way they pull it so off what I needed to watch the special features in order to be able to, to pick up on that. It's something right. that I didn't pick up on until I actually did hear Soderbergh, you know, point it out himself. So, you know, kudos on that. Anytime there's a, a plot, a, a loophole that you can bring out and you can bring to people's attention and they mm -hmm. still haven't realized it before, you know, you're doing something right. Um, but the flyers themselves are rigged with explosives and they're split into two parts. Um, Dan, uh, Rusty is giving, carry instructions over the phone as to exactly what he needs to do, where he needs to take the money, how he's going to be able to get it back. Uh, he tells them that, you know, you're going to, we'll give you half back. We're only packing up half of it. Uh, the other half we've rigged with explosives and you'll either lose half your money tonight or you'll lose it all. Uh, and that's, that's something that uh, is, uh, you know, it 
speaks to, I think, Terry's bravado. I think it speaks to his ego, whereas yep. it's more important for him to save face than it really is anything else. And that includes losing tests. Appearances. Um, yep, exactly. That includes losing tests, and we'll get into that in a moment. But uh, the van is essentially uh, you know, loaded with these flyers, which Benedict believes is money, and oh, okay. it's driven out to the airport. And yep. at this point, the van is remote control. Uh, it's driven by remote control by uh, by Casey Affleck's character. Uh, there is no uh, uh, you know driver behind the scenes. It's rigged with explosives and it does blow up, leading uh, Benedict to believe that the van has blown up with half of his money. The vault is blown up with half of his money. He just believes he's lost 150 million dollars, right. and he's not in a good way about it. <laughs> and <laughs> And to make matters worse, Terry knows that Danny Ocean has to be involved in this somehow. So right. as angry as he is leaving the vault, he heads upstairs to confront Danny, who, you know, Danny's back in the room. He's actually slipped back into this room where he was supposedly being beaten by uh, by Bruiser for the better part of whatever, how long this, this right. took. And when he comes in, Terry gives him an option to be able to say, okay, I'll give you a chance. Where's my money? And Danny's trying to play dumb. <laughs> you know, he's doing the best he can. Um, but uh, as soon as Terry walks away and Danny kind of gives him that notion and say, I don't know where your money is, but I can get it for you. <laughs> yep. That leads Terry to turn around and believe that, well, okay, yep. What you were telling me was absolute, you know, BS. It's absolute right. bullshit. You know, we know, now I know you're involved. So how are you involved? And this is where the test line comes in. And Murph, you gave the line earlier. So kind of walk us through exactly what happens here when Danny finally confronts Terry Benedict and reveals to Tess exactly what kind of a man he is. Right. He's standing there and he's finally in a place where, you know, he was being held in a room where, where he, he says, oh, no, no cameras in here. But he, Danny gets him to take to take him out of that room that bruiser was supposedly beating him up in and into a into a main hallway into a, into a place where yes there would be an eye in the sky because everything is uh in in terry benedict's casinos is is seen by other people and he made sure that he was going to put terry in a position where it was either his money or his the supposed love of his life and he was going to show Tess that it, it it's it's not about her it's 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 always going to be about the money and he tells yeah, her I, that if if you give up Tess then I'll get you your money back and he's he, and Terry agrees to it without without has with almost without no without hesitation yeah I want my money I'll, I'll walk yeah. away from her that's it and of course, that's when uh, when Tess's um, phone rings and they tell her to turn on channel whatever, and so she could witness this happen. Yeah, essentially, that's exactly what, what very very well stated and very well uh, you know having uh, the scene set there. Uh, Terry obviously agrees to Danny's conditions. Tess is furious as she watches this. Yeah. Um, Terry is still not enamored with Danny by any stretch of the imagination. No, He's no, no, not no, going no. to look at him and saying, oh, okay, well, you gave me this information. There won't be, there, there's no running back into arms right away here. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Danny, Terry says to his thugs, basically, that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, 
Danny's in violation of his parole. You should call his parole officer because I'm sure he's in violation, meaning that he was so eager to send him back to jail. And essentially, that's exactly what happens to Danny for violating his parole. He's going to go back. But as he's being taken to the police car to be extradited back and put once again put in jail, someone is there to call out to him. And it's Tess. And Tess has confronted Terry Benedict where – Benedict is wondering what is happening with Tess. They have a very, uh, you know, cold stare back and forth between the two of them. While she's walking out of the elevator, he's about to walk in. He wants to know why he's she's just ignoring clueless. him. Yep, exactly. And she looks at him and she says, "You should know, Terry. Everything in the casino, everything in your casino, is always being watched." As my good friend Murph just eloquently put, yep. and you know that's the end of their relationship. There's no going back. She's completely done with him, and he basically has to look at it as he's lost a lot in this night. <laughs> a right. lot of money. He's lost debts, and he's lost a lot of his. Um, bravado Bravitas, as well, yeah. Uh, because yeah he really has he's been he's been taken down more than just mm-hmm. a peg and it's because of danny ocean so you look at him you look at the look on garcia's face which i think is is brilliant because you can see the anger yeah. just building he's so up good he's he's, so he's probably good. he's ready to go back to his his penthouse and just start tearing stuff off and throwing, mm-hmm. <laughs> throwing stuff <laughs> against the wall a lot's yep. going to be broken in that room we don't see that but i'm assuming um but Danny admits to Tess he knew what he was doing all along. Uh, she didn't, but he did. And that uh, he'll be able to see her in three to six months when he yep. gets out for violating his parole. And as we're ready to wrap up, we see the shot, and I think this is one of Soderbergh's greatest shots in a oh. movie that he's done, is the, the contrast fountain. between the Bellagio Fountains, where you're looking at everybody in Danny's crew that's yep. arguably about $15 million richer at this point, minus Danny. Obviously, Danny's not there. He's on his way right. to jail. But every other of uh, the crew is standing there just marveling at the, the beauty of these fountains. And they all just start to file and walk away in different directions. Um, they kind of give – some of them give each other like that knowing nod, but yep. some of them just walk away but like, okay, this is okay, the way it is. is done. You know, the exactly. friends come together, they pull a job, yep. and then they go off on their own. They're, 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 Exactly. That's, that's, that's what yep. these guys are. They yep. they were they were out on their own beforehand. They got brought together by Danny and Rusty, and then they're they're back on their way and and out into the world until you know. And we don't we're we're not supposed to hear from them again. But of course, in Hollywood, that never happens because you know there's sequel there's money in sequels. Right. Absolutely. And that's exactly how the sequel is set up. Uh, we cut to. Three to six months later, uh, mm-hmm. there's Rusty at the jail to pick Danny up from uh, <laughs> from, from getting the out. Of course, yeah, yep. of course. Rusty is you know he's he's eating a he's eating a hamburger and <laughs> getting a little indigestion <laughs> from what right. I remember seeing. And uh, he uh, he you know shows up and you know kind of a crummy car to pick him up. And you know the, Clooney gives a great line. He's like. Fifteen million dollars. You show up to pick up in this, and Rusty says, "I blew it all on the suit," <laughs> which is like a, a typical like seventies leisure suit that just yep. you know is really really retro, but uh, really loud and just obnoxious. Fits in with his personality in the movie. Tess is in the back seat when he picks him up, and it's assumed that the three of them are going off to you know take uh, uh you know take him home and take him back to his life, but. That's uh, it. Benedict knows he's getting out on this day, too, and uh, the same two henchmen that uh, uh, Benedict has had throughout the entire movie are waiting for Danny when he comes out, and they show their car following Rusty's car, and then we cut to credits. So that's how the sequels are set up. 
again, I don't want to spend too much time on the sequels because it's just, you know, it's not really, you know, worth our, our discussion. Right. But it's also, uh, you know, not the purposes of our discussion today. But That's the it. sequels just did not measure up. I no. just thought, first of all, in Ocean's uh, 12, they took the movie out of Vegas, uh, which was a huge mistake. Huge mistake. Uh, and, and I don't think the, the, the franchise ever recovered. I think Ocean's 13, they brought it back to Vegas, but I thought the plot lines were very weak. I thought some of the um, yep. uh, sub-stories were really over the top. I'm a huge Al Pacino fan. I pretty much like anything he's oh, in. Sure. I did not like this character in, no. in Ocean's 13. Uh, it didn't fit his persona. It didn't fit his acting. Uh, I, I just thought the character was it was It was really beneath arm. him. You know, exactly. it was it was, was kind of like I'm going to get yeah. a nice paycheck here. I'm going to go exactly. in. I'm going to do what yep. you. And uh, neither of us is saying that you know Pacino mailed it in. He didn't. It was just it was it was just you know it, it had been played out. It, it, it was yeah. It was I, done. Yeah. I thought this character was supposed to be like a strong arm, tough guy. It was in no way. No, what he was Benedict just a was. smarmy little yeah. freaking. It know, was in no way what Benedict yeah. was to the original, and no. that surprised me because if you ask me who would play a better tough guy in a movie, Al Pacino or Andy Garcia. I'd no shit, Chet, no shit. But uh, Garcia just, the student became the teacher in this one. I thought Garcia was yep. brilliant in the original, uh, and I didn't think Pacino was so good in Ocean's 13. But um, again, I, I love the movie. Uh, Soderbergh does a tremendous job bringing these uh, elements together, uh, melding this this type of genre and bringing it back. And I think he did a masterful job of not making this in any way resemblant to the original, other than the very basic plot line and the name Danny Ocean. It mm -hmm. gave homage to the Sinatra version, but it didn't remake the Sinatra version. And right. I think so many remakes fall into that category. They fall That's into it. those problems where it becomes too much like the original and you compare them. I think the reason why this is considered even better than the remake than the original is because it took some of the plot lines gave him a whole different dimension. Right. And I also think that it, uh, it distanced itself quite nicely from the, uh, from the original. Uh, and it really, itself. it goes to an old saying that I have that, you know, they, they keep trying to remake great movies. And, and I know that you think more of the original than I do. I don't think the original is a great movie. I really don't. Oh, I don't and think Hollywood... it's a great movie either. I, I, th okay. There's parts of it that I like. I'm I'm partial to watching the Rat Pack, and I just yeah. have always yeah, been a fan you know, of Sinatra. No, it's nostalgic. It's it's nice. Sammy, you it, know, we, it's familiar. I think I'm seeing those guys yeah. together is always nice. But um, yeah. my thing is in Hollywood, they keep trying to remake great movies. What what they should do is remake movies that could have been really good. And weren't the, you know that you you need to remake the the, the great storylines and take a movie that that should have been better or or you know if if this was different or if that was different um, it, it it could have been a blockbuster movie and that's what they did with Ocean's Eleven. One it Absolutely. was so it was so um, forty it was what forty years maybe thirty yeah. thirty five uh, forty years between yeah it was between, actually forty one forty one forty one years. Between the, the two, so there was enough time that it was, you know, a lot of people didn't even know about the original one. But like I said, the original one was just, you know, a campy Batman television series type thing for a heist movie. And um, and this was just done. It was it was it was comedic. It was it was brilliant. It made you think. Um, you, as, as Mike talked about earlier, the holes in the plot line, you completely overlooked until later on 
You know, it was just a good, enjoyable movie. And it's one that I can sit down with with a big bowl of popcorn and watch any time that it's on. I was so glad that we, we had a chance to do this show today. And uh, and I got to watch it again because, of course, I, every time I, I can, I'll, I'll watch a movie before we go over it. And, and I'm telling you right now, I've still got it on the DVR. And I will rewatch it again before I hit delete. Absolutely. I completely agree. It's one of the ones I own on DVD, uh, mm. and I'm so glad that I do. I do own the original. I do own the Sinatra version. And again, okay. I think it's more nostalgic. Well, I think that's the, uh, that's the law. If you're Italian, you have to own every single Sinatra. Absolutely. Flick, Whatever Sinatra does has to be in the house. <laughs> absolutely. At some point, you need every work that yeah. the man has done in the house. Now, I agree with Murph. I do not believe the original is a, a great movie. Uh, I like it, but I don't look at it as a great movie. Right. I enjoy watching it for the nostalgia factor. It's fun. It's mindless. Um, again, it's a lot like the Batman TV series. I don't think that the Batman TV series had great acting. I don't think right. it was it was good. I don't think it's a masterful piece of cinema. But you know what? If it's on, you, you can know, watch I, it and just say, you know what? Yeah, they, they that's put it. Dan and Powell every two seconds. It's fun. I can flip and, the coin and, and show yep. you a, a, a different one that completely screwed up. Just going back to what I was just saying. I, last night just just for giggle my daughter my daughter who who knows me so well texted me and said hey dad the original italian job is on I knew uh, you were gonna say this. netflix <laughs> and yep. uh and i i said oh thank you honey thank you thank you thank you and i went and i watched it and that's that's the the complete opposite of what we're talking about now a great right. movie that you tried to remake that just cannot stand up to the original and, and people who had never seen the original are like, wow, what a great movie. And I'm just sitting there saying, yeah, okay, um, the Napster. Yeah, okay, sure. And um, that's the, the, that's just like the, the other side of the coin of the Ocean's Elevens for me. Completely agree. I'm so glad that you said that. And again, you know, the, the sequel or the remake, I should say, because it's not a sequel, but the remake of The Italian Job is Fun to watch, I guess you can you can yeah. make the argument. You know, there's the, it is. You know, my the, wife the, loves the, it. The Mini Cooper, yeah, the Mini Cooper yeah. chase. I mean, it's the cinematography is beautiful. I mean, the locations that they have between the yep. Italian Alps and and Venice and and that know, just heist, the, how they pulled know. that heist off it was really cool. Also, exactly, it, it just yep. it just yep. wasn't the same. And and exactly. you could probably go back and and say that the original was not quite as inventive as the the remake of it but i still enjoy the original more and it's probably just because you know i've got a thing for michael kane he's just you know that good oh phenomenal absolutely yeah. phenomenal one of the more underrated actors i think of our generation and again that's saying a lot considering that he's very highly decorated i mean no one's saying mm -hmm. that michael kane has not gotten any type of accolades he's oh, gotten them but i think right. he deserves even more but again i think that's the difference between these two movies the original oceans 11 was a campy fun you know kind of mindless type of movie to watch whereas yep. i think that the remake of oceans 11 really brought a base to it that it didn't have in the original and that's why i think it's far superior to the remake it is completely the opposite when it comes to uh, uh to the italian job the original had that base it had michael kane it had i think a more realistic plot line mm -hmm. i think a more uh i think more developed characters more of a developed story whereas the remake of, of the italian job kind of relied heavily on the cinematography and right. the window dressing as i like to call it so a great great analogy i'm glad that you brought that to kind of oh, bring thanks. us all home today but definitely <laughs> definitely oceans 11 is is without a doubt 
in my top 10 heist movies of all time. It, it goes down with the town, the inside man, uh, Heat, which is, which is you know, there's a great Pacino freaking movie right there for a heist right. movie. You know, uh, the original Italian job and, and like so many more. Thief, um, you know, we'll just get back to the Khan family. And um, but it, that Point Break is, is a very underrated heist movie. Um, right. But no, this this was was is, is definitely uh, the cream rising to the top. We, 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 and, and you couldn't expect any less with with this cast. You know, we'll go back and we could talk about this cast for another hour. But it was just from top to bottom to, to you know, people people playing little tiny extra parts. Like we said, Angie Dickinson was in this. Uh, Jerry Weintraub was in this. Yeah. And, and, you know, Wayne Newton. It, but everybody in this entire movie was fantastic they played their part and and a lot of the times played themselves really well which is not easy if you haven't seen it even though we've given away the entire movie to you here because you know <laughs> we're, we're going over old movies and, and we doubt that anybody hasn't not seen it but if you haven't go give it a shot if you have please make some popcorn and go enjoy it again you know sit on the couch with with your tests and and just enjoy this one you absolutely will. You will not be disappointed. You will absolutely love it. Again, this is one I've been looking forward to. I'm glad we had a chance to share the bar today to be able to talk about Ocean's Eleven. But you know what, Murph? Heists are not always just about the actual overt stealing of money from a casino. Um, right. There are a lot of heists behind the scenes when it comes to the casino life, the casino business. And that's going to lead us very, very nicely into a teaser for what will be our next adventure here on the Shape of the Mob <laughs> Pod. And in case you haven't figured it out, money's on the table. I'll know I have a partner. If it isn't, I'll know I don't. That's right, folks. At long last, the greatest sequel in movie history will be chronicled here on Shape of the Mob Pod the next time that Murph and I open the bar the godfather part two and we're going to be joined by a special guest as well i'm not going to give away who that is but it's someone that we've shared the microphone several times with in our own personal lives and someone who's been chomping at the bit to get here and to be able to talk about this so (laughs) keep an eye on our twitter feeds folks when's my Uh, turn (laughs) absolutely when's my turn yeah well his turn's coming and uh he's going to need to bring his a game that's all i can say because uh there are not two people on earth that know as much or hold this movie in as high regard as right. myself and my great co-host right here. So until it's the a movie next time, that's never we... deleted from my DVR, never. No question about it. No, this one, this one shouldn't be deleted from anything. This, nope. one, this is one of the greatest movies ever made. And until the next time here on Shape at the Mob Pod, when we chronicle The Godfather Part Two, my name is Mike Debate. This is the legendary Thomas Murphy. Now you can leave, folks. Thank you for joining us for our discussion on Ocean's Eleven today. We look forward to seeing you the next time here at Shade Bippy. The bar is closed, folks. Stay safe, stay well, and be the change you wish to see in the world. Have a great day, everyone. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.